Thanks for sharing that, Sam. We too have been foster and adopted parents, and so I, I got a little choked up as well because I know we've been there. When you want a date night out, that can be tough. Okay, so we've got a lot going on this morning, and if you want to know the recipe for a sleepless night for a third grade reading and Bible teacher, it's giving them this passage where none of the Hebrew names follow the syllabication rules, and I have pressure to get it right because Seth Herndon, one of my students, yeah, we'll, we'll work on it. Okay, so we're going to do the best. I'm going to try to stick to the Hebrew pronunciation. We're in Genesis 48 verses 1 through 16 first, and we're going to make our way through 50, so you're just going to have to follow along, and I'll tell you where we are. 48, at verse 1. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed, and Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples and will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim, in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands for Manasseh was the firstborn, and he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from the evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth." I just got new, um, trend, like, old lady glasses, and I'm sorry. I'm trying to, okay, that's as good as it goes. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, 49, verse 1 through 2. I got to get the, just right to see. Okay. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons, of ja o sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. 
So we're in chapter 49, 8 and 9 now. Judah, your brother, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He, he stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. Skip over to verse 22, please. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. But the God of your father, who will help you by the Almighty, who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Verse 27. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey and, the, and, and at evening dividing the spoil. All of these are the twelve tribes, tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that it is in the field of, of Ephron the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which is which which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were, were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Chapter 50, verses 1 through 3. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it. For that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. Um, move over to first, verse 15 through 26. We're almost there. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. Verse 22. 
So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Sermon. All right. Uh, Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, and Father, as, uh, as Jacob says to his children and his grandchildren, you are mine. Father, I pray that you will help us to understand what it means when the greater Jacob says, you are mine. And that we might find our comfort there. Father, even in the, the circumstances that we may go through that won't be nearly what Joseph has been through or went through, but that we might recognize that we are yours. And Father, that you care for us and you are working out your good, our good and your glory. Um, and so, Father, we lift up this coming parents' night out. Father, even as we see children and families who've been through uh, difficult times and have um, had very difficult things happen to them, Father, I pray that we might be able to point to you and show that you care for them, and, Father, that you do love them, and that you are working things for their good and your glory. So I pray, Lord, that you will bring the families that need, um, need care and need rest. Father, that you will bring the helpers that are able to, uh, to provide that care and rest as they watch these children. Father, I pray that we will be uh, messengers that will share the message of your love with these children in that time that we have. Father, I pray that you be glorified through it all. I pray that you bless this morning. Give Josue the words he needs to, to bring your message. Um, and Father, may they really impact our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Buenos dias, familia. Buenos dias. All right. Thought you guys would have a little bit more energy this morning after the Strohs won last night. I guess you guys were up too late celebrating. So, um, Cupid, thanks for reading. I know that was a lot. Uh, we are uh, trying to finish Genesis today. Not trying to. We are going to finish Genesis today. And, uh, and so I'm just excited to be here. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Josue. I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at the Grove Church, and also have the uh, privilege of being our church planting resident. So for those of you that do not know, we are planting Koinonia Church down in Sugarland, and uh, we are being sent from the Grove, and it's been our dream, an exciting, uh, exciting time now that we get to live out this dream to multiply, to be a church that makes disciples, that make disciples, and plant churches that plant churches. So if you have any questions about church planting, I'd love to answer those, um, and you can find me after our gathering. But today, we are going to finish up Genesis. Uh, we started Genesis January 2nd, and I went back and I added up all the time we've spent in Genesis, and we have 34 sermons in Genesis. We have the better part of 1,500 minutes that we've preached on Genesis, which is 24 hours and 38 minutes of your life that we've spent in Genesis this year. And today, we will round that up to exactly 1,500 minutes. So um, I say all that to say we've journeyed a lot. 
and we've discovered a lot of things about ultimately who God is. And today, Moses is showing us God's plan and purpose, and the way he started the book is the way he will end the book today. And that is the way we found Adam and Eve in chapter 1, verse 28, where he says that he created Adam and Eve. And then the Bible says that God blessed them. God blessed them. And today we find this word being repeated over and over again that God blessed, uh, that Jacob blesses his sons and his grandkids. Now, in, uh, in honor of last night and the win the Astros had, I don't normally quote theologians in this line, but today I thought it'd be good. So I have a picture for you up here that maybe you've seen or maybe you've heard before. We have our brother, Jose Altuve, all right, super theologically rich quote here that says, the best success is to live your life the way God wants you to. And this was uh, back in 2017 he said that. So we have this man who is uh, succeeding in worldly standards. He has worked really hard to get to where he's at. And when they ask him about success, what he points to as a successful life is living a life that is ultimately lived the way God wants us to live. And today we are going to find this in our text. We're going to find Moses remind us that there is something greater in our lives than just ourselves. There's something greater for our lives than just our story. And what that greater thing is, we find in verse 20 of chapter 50. So we're going to go there. We're going to start there as our lens for today's text. Verse 20 of chapter 50 here at the very end. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers, and he says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So today's sermon is simple. It's the blessing of God, and the blessing is this, but God. Now, we've heard this multiple times through Genesis. We're going to hear it again many times in the future, uh, in future scriptures. But I wanted to bring this before you today to be a reminder for you that the but God moments are ultimately the blessings that God has for us. When he intervenes, we all have and can look back at our stories. And at times where we felt like, man, we are drowning, we feel like there's no hope, we feel like there's no resolution to what's in life, and just in the nick of time, we see God step in. And those are our but God moments. And so today I hope that as we journey through this text, that you would call to mind your but God moments, that you would call to mind those things in life that you've gone through or maybe you're going through right now and you're waiting and saying, Lord, I need you to intervene. I need you to step in. And he is saying, I am here. And we're going to find this but God moments multiple times through today's scriptures. So let us get started. Chapter 48, we find Joseph and uh, verse 1, he, it says after this or sometime after this to indicate there's some time had passed. And they come and find Joseph and they tell him, hey, your dad is ill. He's about to die. And so Joseph get, gets his two sons, which, by the way, I've been pronouncing completely different this week. So, so excuse my pronunciation. That's probably also improper. But he's been, uh, he brings his two sons over to, Jake, uh, to Jacob to find his dad about to die. And so we find Jacob giving his last words to Joseph and now to his grandkids who he's going to meet for the first time. And what we find in this is from Jacob is this, is that even though we look at his life, and we've looked at his life for many weeks where he was unfaithful, where he wavered in his faith. We find something that's true in him now, is that even though we waver, God is faithful. That even though we waver, but God is faithful. And we find that here in Jacob here toward the end. And so he says in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 48, 
God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. We see that even though we waver, God is faithful. Even though you and I, like Jacob, waver in our faith, waver in our, in our obedience, God is faithful. And what Jacob here is calling us to pay attention to is not his work, it's not the faithfulness he's had to God, but he is calling us and he is calling Joseph and, and his grandkids to pay attention to God's faithful promise. Now pay attention to the pronouns he uses. This is almost a verbatim uh, 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 word, uh, sorry, a verbatim recollection of, of Genesis 35 where God gives him this promise of people and land. But instead of saying exactly verbatim, he changes it and says, but God. He's, he's pointing to God that God Almighty appeared and that God blessed him and that God will make them fruitful and that God will give them a company and a people. You see, Jacob, at this point in his life, he's understanding something, and it is this, that ultimately, even though we waver, God is faithful and that what God has started, he will complete. That whatever God has promised, he will bring to fruition. And that is what Jacob here at the end, at almost 130 years old, is pointing out for his son, for his grandkids, and for you and for me. And that, that even though we waver, God is faithful to fulfill his promise. Psalm 33, 11 tells us this, and this is the NIV version. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, and the purposes of his heart through all generations. See, regardless of how we waver, regardless of how we act or react, regardless of how obedient or not obedient we are, God's plans are going to be carried out. And that is what Moses is showing us through this story here, is that God is faithful, and what he promised since the beginning of time, he will carry out to fruition here toward the end. And so Jacob is giving his kind of last testament to his grandkids, to his son, and it made me think about how we want to end. When we think about the future, when we think about what our life looks like in our last days, when we make it to 80, maybe 90, maybe 100, when we think about that, what kind of legacy do we want to leave? What kind of men and women do we want to be that we can look back and point to our kids and point to our grandkids and say, man, this is the legacy I'm leaving you guys. Jacob here is leaving them with the words and the promises of God. And ultimately, God's faithfulness is being highlighted for them to pay attention to. And so Jacob um, gives this blessing to, to Joseph, and then he continues in verse 10, and he says this. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. God is not just faithful. God works in unexpected ways. We find Joseph, uh, Jacob here seeing his son, and he, said, he says to him, I never expected to see you, let alone my grandkids. I never expected this. And that's the way God works in our lives. He works in very unexpected ways to carry out his plans for salvation for this world, for you, and for me. And so as we look back in our lives, I'm sure you can tell of the many stories where God has shown up in unexpected ways. When we pray to God, when we ask for him to intervene and do things in our lives that we need, what we discover is that God steps in, but it's normally not in ways that we expect. It's not normally in ways that we anticipate him to act. 
um, toward us. Instead, we find him acting, uh, we find him doing things in unexpected ways, and we find these gifts of grace along the way. And for Jacob, this was him at 130 years old, seeing the, son of his, uh, the face of his son Joseph, seeing the faces now of his grandkids. And he goes on in verse 15 and he, and to his grandkids, and he blesses Joseph and his grandkids and says this, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walk, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let, let my name be carried on, that the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the whole earth. What we find in Jacob, furthermore, is that not just that God blesses him with gifts of grace that are unexpected, we find that God works his plan out not just for us, but also in us. We find that Jacob here is blessing his son and his, and his grandson, and what's the blessing he gives them? What do we find him giving his son and his grandkids? It's quite simple, two things, prayer and the word of God. Prayer and the word of God is what he gives his sons and his grandkids. And so as I think about the legacy I want to leave, as I think of the blessing I want to be to my wife, to my community, to my neighbors, to the people that I am doing life with every week, what I am finding is that quite simply the, the greatest gifts I could give those around me is my prayer, my intimacy, going before the Lord and pleading for the people that are around me don't, that don't yet know him, and as well being so enriched and so uh, uh, lavished by this word in my heart and in my mind that I am ready to speak it at any point in time. And so we see Jacob doing this with his son, with his grandkids, and we see uh, something unexpected happens. Jacob has his two grandsons, and if you remember Jacob's story, what did he do with his brother? He stole his brother's blessing. You guys remember this? From Isaac, right? He, he, he was very sneaky, came before his father, and he stole his brother's blessing. And we find this kind of representation here of his, his father Isaac, too, had dim eyes, couldn't see well. And so he, he has um, this moment where he stole his brother's blessing. And now Joseph brings his sons over to him. And there's this kind of crisscross where he's placing the blessing over uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. And, and, and Joseph says, hey, hey, Dad, you're, you have the wrong order. You have the wrong kid in order here. I need you to bless the right son. And we find here in verse 19, just read with me, and we'll continue. He says, this is um, Jacob speaking. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, were pronounced blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. We find here another beautiful gift of grace from God is that ultimately the blessing does not depend on what we do or don't do. It doesn't depend on how good we are or how, how, how obedient we are. Ultimately, God blesses us simply because he is a God of grace, and it is not based upon ourselves. The blessing that Jacob is passing on to his grandkids, even though there's this birthright order that Joseph was fighting for, Jacob knew what he was doing, and he was saying, hey, this is not based on anything that they've done or even who they are in birthright order. I am simply blessing them because this is God's plan, and God's faithfulness is bla bla based solely on grace. And that's a beautiful gift for you and for me today. As we look at our lives and we try to honor God and we try to obey and we try to live a life that's honoring to him, it is a beautiful gift of grace that God would bless us not because we're super obedient, 
I think there is this kind of karma mindset that we sometimes adopt that, man, if I just do the right things, if I come to the Sunday gathering, if I go to neighborhood group, if I am in growth group, if I read the word, if I pray, if I do all the right things, God will bless me and God will give me the things that I'm asking him for. And what we find here is that that's not the way God works. God is faithful. God is steadfast. God loves you and he loves me simply because he is good and simply because he has so much grace to pour out upon us that it goes way beyond anything we could do. It's not dependent on us. It's simply dependent on his goodness. So we see this represented in the way uh, Jacob blesses his two grandkids. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons. Because we see here two things. There's the blessing that's going to be passed on to his grandkids. There's the birthright blessing, and there's the blessing of the kingdom, of the scepter, of the king. And that's what we're going to now find in chapter 49, is that Jacob is recognizing God's work that's way beyond this dysfunctional family. Now, maybe you and I can relate. We're getting ready for the holidays. We're getting ready for Thanksgiving. You're setting up your dinner table. You're setting up for Christmas. And you're beginning to think, all right, I already know kind of the craze that's going to be here at home. Or maybe your family's great and you guys never argue and you guys have a merry time. But we're thinking through, all right, we already know the kind of jokes that are going to come, the kind of uh, comments that are going to be made, right? And there's all this dysfunction at times that can happen while we're at, in our family gatherings. And this family was no different. It was full of dysfunction. It was a family that, honestly, if I look at and read, and now that we've journeyed through Genesis, I've looked at, I've thought, Lord, this is the family that you used to bring about the Messiah. That's crazy. If this is the family you can use, surely you can use me. Surely you can use our family. Surely you can use us to bring about your perfect plan. And that is what Jacob is realizing here. He's recognizing God's faithfulness. And at the very end of this chapter, he says in verse 21, read with me. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, and here we find the blessing. But God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. I wonder what it would be like to live a life that is constantly reflecting these moments of but God in our lives. What if you and I began to live in a way that constantly is being reflective and understanding that we have all these but God moments. Many times when we talk and gather in neighborhood group and we talk about being missional, uh, many of us say, I, I just don't know how to share the gospel. I, you know, I've not been trained enough. I need more training. I need more ways to share the gospel. And honestly, it's this simple. It is really this simple that if we would adopt this but God mindset, that we would take truly an inventory of what God has done in our lives, it's really this simple. I was once lost, but God saved me. I was once a punk 20-year-old kid, know-it-all, but God in his great grace brought people into my life to disciple me, to love me, to teach me his word, to teach me to love his word. And we begin to see that it's really not that hard to tell of God's story in our lives when we begin to look back and think of all these but God moments. And that's the assurance that you and I have today. But God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Jacob continues and says, even though we waver, God is faithful. And the next thing we see is that even though we sin, we sin, but God redeems. We sin, but God redeems. Jacob now gathers his sons. He's at the end of his life. There are his boys come to, to him. He's like, hey, I'm about to give a blessing upon you guys. These are my last words to you, basically. And there's three uh, poems we find in the Old Testament that are like Jacob's. And these are poems that are more uh, messianic in message. And so he is here presenting something that is of a greater hope than just for his, his kids and his family. 
And we find that greater hope in verse 8. So let's just read verse 8 through 10. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's come. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until the tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Jacob now is giving prophecy to his boys. Now, Judah is the fourth, the fourth son, all right? He had no business receiving the blessing that he's about to receive. And, and Jacob has kind of lined out in the first few verses of this, hey, uh, Reuben, you, uh, you defiled my, my bed with one of my wives. And then he says, Simeon and Levi, you guys kind of went crazy out in, in Shechem and killed a lot of people. Like, you guys surely can't carry the blessing. And then we, we find Judah here, who a few weeks ago we discovered uh, had intimate relationships with his uh, daughter-in-law in ways that were very unconventional, to say the least. And he is the one that God will use to bring about the king, the Messiah. And why is this important? Because this, even though we sin, God redeems. And his plan of redemption is not based on us. It is based on him and only his work. If God can redeem a man like Judah, a man who uh, was not fall from the tree of his dad, who had all these things in him of wanting to be great, of wanting to bring things to himself like Jacob, if God can redeem Jacob and God can redeem Judah, surely God can redeem you and me. So I don't know what maybe mess you have in your life right now. I don't know maybe what sin you're fighting with. I don't know how distant you feel from God, how distant you feel from community. I don't know maybe how much is going on in your life. But what I do know is this, is that regardless of where you may be at in life, in this very moment, you are here. You are here listening to the good news that God has created a way through Judah to bring about the Messiah, the King, Jesus Christ, so that one day you and I could be sitting here today listening to the good news that we are not too far, that we are not too distant, that we've not fallen too much from his grace to where we cannot be redeemed and we cannot be restored. We cannot out God, and in fact, it's quite the opposite. His grace is so great that he is waiting for you and for me to turn to him so that he can continue to not just redeem us for himself, but that he can redeem our stories for himself. That's what we find in Judah here, is that his story is crazy. All the things he did are crazy, and yet God redeems him so that he can use him to bring about King Jesus one day down, many years down the line. So God redeems Judah. God redeems Joseph's story. God redeems Jacob's story. And we find the big blessing of this man, Jacob, here toward his deathbed. Let's go to the end of chapter 49. Verse 28 says, All these were the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. We see Jacob here knowing his, he's about to pass, knowing he's given the blessing to his um, sons and his grandsons, and he is asking his sons to take him back to his, his father's land, to be buried with uh, Isaac, to be buried with Abraham. Why? 
because he is wanting to show his family that the same faith that he had uh, is the same faith of his fathers. It is the faith of Abraham. It is the faith of Isaac. It is now the faith of Jacob. And it will be the faith of Joseph, who also too will be taken back and be buried together. And we find here Jacob at his deathbed saying, I've blessed you guys. I've given you prayer. I've given you the words of God. I've charged you to go and to multiply and to carry out the God's, God's purposes for the world. And now, in a very beautiful picture, uh, verse 50 says, uh, sorry, verse 33 says, When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And so the point here is this, that God's promises remain firm to the end, regardless of how you and I act, react, regardless of what we do, God's purposes remain faithful to the end. Why? Because we waver, but God is faithful. We sin, but God redeems. And we find our final point here in chapter 50. It's this reality is that we face evil, but God is good. You and I face evil internally, externally, in all kinds of ways, but God is good. Verse 1 of chapter 50, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants by the physicians, physicians to embalm his father, so the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it. That is how many are required for embalming, and the Egyptians wept for 70 days. It's interesting, as I was thinking through this text, I was reminded of some of our journey over last year as a church family, as friends, uh, we've buried two of our own. We've buried our brother John Hilliard, our sister Angela Prosser over the past year, uh, two people who were, have been a part of our missional course since 2014. Uh, this week I had um, an email pop up with John's picture on it, and it just reminded me of all the beautiful memories I have with John, of all the high fives he gave here at the entrance of our gathering on Sunday mornings, of all the things that he was very adamant about. I was making sure we did right for the glory of God. I thought about Angela and the many hundred cups of, 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 of wine she filled for our communion time of her faithfulness to continually serve the kingdom of God and to continually serve this church. And what I see here in Joseph is seeing, a, uh, his, as he's burying his dad, seeing a man that is remembering Jacob, is seeing Jacob and seeing the blessing he's given his son and his grandkids, and now he is mourning. For the better part of almost four months, they are mourning. We face evil, but God is good. You see, because of the fall in the garden, sin entered earth, and with sin, we also find death. And we find death here in Jacob, and we find mourning, and, and, and as we face evil and we think, but God is good, this is the reality, is that even in mourning, God is good. This is a part of life that none of us want to navigate. If I'm being honest, I, as I think about this, we just had my grandma's 90th birthday um, a couple of months ago, and I begin to think about her and her age, and she's starting to kind of, her mind's starting to kind of go, and I begin to think, Lord, I don't want to lose my grandma. I don't want to lose my two grandmas who are now in their, close to their 90s, my other grandmas as well. And I begin to think of all the people in my life that, that, that are older in age and I, I want to hold on to and I want to have close to me. And yet, this is a part of our life. And so as we think about mourning and we think about God being good, we find that God's blessing in mourning comes in a few ways. It comes in remembering 
these lives and comes in celebrating these lives and comes in remembering and celebrating all the things that they've done to bless us, to be a blessing to us, and ultimately, if they've been believers, to be about the kingdom of God. And so the blessing of grace that we find in mourning is remembrance, it's celebration, and it's also this for us, the believers, that we don't mourn as those without hope. That we know one day we will rejoice with John. We will rejoice with Angela. We will rejoice with those around us that have gone before us. And we will together worship and celebrate King Jesus in eternity. But until then, we hold on to this promise that even though we face evil, God is good. And he is present in our mourning. So Joseph buries his dad. He asks Pharaoh if he can take some time off from work to go bury his dad and God's grace is all over Joseph. Pharaoh gives him the okay. He goes back to his father's land to bury. He takes Egyptians with him. He has his big caravan. They go and mourn another seven days, and they bury his dad, and he comes back. As they come back, his brothers now are kind of nervous, right? We see his brothers here in 15 a little bit nervous. The sin that they know is in them that they've not yet fully uh, found forgiveness for internally now begins to haunt them. And what we find here as we land is verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Remember that kind of karma mindset, right? Like, man, we hurt him. We did evil to him. And even though they've seen all the things Joseph has done for them up to this point, they still think he may hate us for the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. I mean, these guys are super humble in the way they're presenting themselves, right? Like, be gracious with the servants of God, basically. Now, pay attention to what they do. They don't go and talk to their brother Joseph. They send a messenger. This is how fearful they are. They're using their dad's deathbed for self-protection. Think about the honor that, and the shame, actually, the dishonor that they're bringing upon his dad by saying, hey, our dad said this. Now, Moses doesn't point out whether he actually says this or not. But we can kind of infer from the text that because of their fear, because of their response, because of the way that they act, we're not too sure that, that their dad, Jacob, actually said these words. And instead, they're still trying to self-preserve. And what do we see Joseph do when he received his message in verse 17? Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph wept. We find for the second time, Joseph encountering his brothers, the first time he finds them, he's weeping. He's weeping as he reveals himself to them. He is weeping. And now, as I look at this, I think he is weeping for their disbelief. I begin to think of Jesus when they're burying Lazarus, and when we find the shortest text or the shortest verse in the Bible, that is, Jesus wept. As he looked at the disbelief around him, of Lazarus being dead, and he's about to bring him back to life. Jesus wept, and we see Joseph here weeping for their disbelief. Why? Because he sees they've still not changed too much. They've still not really grown as much as they've led on to believe. But we find Joseph representing God in such a beautiful way here. And he says to them in verse 19, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Remember, Moses is pointing God's faithful work. This is not about Joseph. This is about the greater work God is doing. And Joseph says to him, do not fear. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. And here we go, the blessing. But God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Another translation says, so that there were, many would be saved. 
And as I was thinking through this text and reading this verse and thinking about Joseph's story of suffering, Joseph's story, story of being sold to slavery, of going to prison wrongfully, of all the things that he had to go through life, Joseph here toward the end begins to have or show us this perspective that his suffering had purpose, that his suffering, all the things that he went through had purpose and that they were far beyond chance, they were far beyond evil things that people did to him. It was actually God's plan for his life. It was actually God's plan for his life. So as you and I journey through life and we think about all the difficulties that we face in life and we think about all the circumstances that are hard in our lives and and we pray for God to relieve us from the stressors, from the difficulties that we're facing, Joseph shows us a beautiful picture of a man who has awakened to the reality that there is a greater work even at play here than his own redemption and his own comfort. Where he says that God meant it for good. And he doesn't say that God meant it good for me. God meant it, good, meant it for good so that I would be in the place of power and position to bless you, my family. He says so that God would save many people. And I've just, I've never caught this before that ultimately our suffering is actually one of the ways God blesses us to be on mission. You ever considered that maybe you're suffering the redemptive work that God is doing in your life and the presence that he is showing you through your suffering is actually something that he will use to save many lives. Isn't that not, is that not worth us suffering well for the Lord so that many lives may come to know him? So what does the Lord require of us? To act, just, to lo- to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. You see, this is Joseph, a man who's walked humbly with the Lord who's pursued justice, who's pursued mercy, and now here as his father's been buried and he's looking at his brothers, he's saying, hey, God had this plan all along, and if we would walk with God, we would see that our suffering is not in vain, that whatever things we're going through in life right now are not in vain, that even though it seems like it's never ending, God is present, God is with you. This is a story you've been hearing for the last few weeks that no matter what you and I are going through right now, God is present and at work in our hearts, not just to redeem our stories, but to ultimately bring redemption to the world. So God's faithfulness, because of his grace, is great. God's faithfulness because of his mercy and his steadfastness is great. And now we find here in Joseph an example of a life perspective we can have, that as we suffer, God is renewing in us a deeper faith. He is growing roots so that we can be uh, steadfast in the face of adversity and suffering so that we can be rooted in our faith to ultimately worship and love him more deeply. And in so doing, go and carry this message of the good news to those around us. And that despite evil plans internally, externally, despite the things that we find around us, we are reminded that God is good and he has a good plan not just to save us but to save those around us. So your life, my brother and sister, is not a... It's not in vain. God's had a purpose for your life all along. And all the things that you've gone through and all the things that you're going through are ultimately bringing you into a deeper love for him, are bringing into you a better focus of who God is and how good he is, and also bringing into focus, hopefully after today's text, the reality that you and I are about to be, are, are, are to be about the mission of God. That God didn't just save us to be saved and then one day um, get to heaven, but he saved us so that through you and through I and through the stories that we have, we may be uh, people who go and share the good news with the world that doesn't yet know the good news of Jesus Christ. So I wanted to end 
with Romans 8, and this is the only time I'll ask you to turn to the New Testament with me, but if you turn to Romans 8, I think this is just a beautiful echo of what we are seeing in Jacob, what we are seeing in Joseph's story of men who lived well, who honored God, God, who walked humbly, who saw that there was a greater purpose for suffering, who saw that there was a greater purpose for their lives than just their own salvation and their own well-being. And we're reminded of this in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 28. And it says this, a verse you've heard before. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angel, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the good news that we have today, fam. And this is where we'll end today, Genesis is the reality that God has been working a greater plan of redemption since the beginning of time. Since Adam and Eve, God has been working a plan to save all of humanity. And he's been working to save you and to save me, to bring us into the kingdom of God, not simply to be in the kingdom of God, but that we too would be people who can help grow the kingdom of God, who can bring the kingdom of God from heaven to here on earth, that we would be men and women who suffer in a way that is honoring to God, in a way that sees God for who he is and is a good faithful, steadfast, redeeming God who is ready to do a good work, not just in our lives, but through our lives to reach those around us. Why? Because he is making all things new, and that includes us, and we get to be a part of that story. And so wherever you find yourself today, I pray that Joseph's story, I pray that as we, in Genesis, we would be reminded that God has always had a plan for salvation for his people, that you and I have always been a part of that plan to be saved, to come into a deep relationship with him. But not just that, that we would also be in deep relationship with one another and together we would go and take this good news to the world around us. And so as we conclude here, I just simply want to ask, think this week about your but God moment. Think about all the things that God has done in your life up to this point in your life. And maybe you're at a, at a breaking point right now where you feel like you need God to step in Pray, intercede, but be reminded that when God intercedes, it is for something so much greater than our relief here on earth. It is ultimately to bring glory to his name for his purposes and for his plan of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, Lord, that um, you don't leave us to ourselves. Um, Father God, that even though we know suffering, mourning, 
that evil, that sin is a part of this world and it's a part of our lives, Father God, you do not leave us in that by ourselves. You are present. You are providing a way. And you are constantly working things for your purpose and for your plan, for your glory and our good. And Father God, I just pray that wherever we find ourselves today, disbelieving this, not really believing that you are good, because if you were good, Lord, you would come and intervene already. Wherever we find ourselves today, that, that if we truly saw you as good, that we, would ex- that we expect you to act a certain way, and then you don't. You actually worked in unexpected ways. I pray that you would deepen our faith through these moments, that our but God moments would give us a clearer vision of who you are and of your purpose in this world for us to be men and women who love you and love others and serve well. So, Father God, we're grateful that we've made it to the end of Genesis, but we know this is simply just the continuation of the beginning redemptive plan that you've had all along for your people for this world. And so, Father God, we are grateful that we get to conclude Genesis, but we're also expecting, Father God, that you will work, you will work in our hearts to be men and women who are about your purposes and your plans. Be with us as we worship in response.